Welcome back to the Happy Hour, a palate cleansing podcast. I'm Malachi Wade. And I am Shaylin Martos. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. And just a disclaimer, if you hear some chirping in the background, that is my kitten. She is not happy that she is outside of my room right now and that she cannot be a part of the recording process. So if you hear that, just chalk it up to the kitten. Yeah, and stay tuned for when Shaylin inevitably gives in and lets her in, and then she becomes the third host of the podcast. <laughs> and it's just it's just her chirping, because she's a chirpy kitten, so she's mm-hmm. like, right? And, and then it's just her chirping and biting me uh, the entire time. Anyways, we're here talking about happy news stories and putting some positive spins and talking about positive aspects of big stories going on today. Today we're going to touch on some different perspectives regarding the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, some uplifting news about the fires in California, Oregon, and Washington, and a special happy news story at the end that you'll just have to wait and hear about. Plus a special cocktail recipe in regards to an iTunes review that we received. Stay tuned to learn more about that. First, we want to address the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and open the conversation to how we can learn from the contradictions of her work and the way forward. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, I grew up being taught that RBG is a hero for women and for other marginalized folks. I even bought a children's book about her life for my baby sister. But when Ginsburg passed, I saw all of these posts online claiming she was racist, classist, anti-LGBTQ, and I wanted to know more. I got in contact with Liza Mamadov, a fourth-year Berkeley student studying anthropology and rhetoric, she-they pronouns. They are also a longtime community organizer involved in various social justice and activist movements like mutual aid, prison abolition, and anti-police work. Mamadov fosters conversations about how Ginsburg's death is a complicated issue. RBG's track record shows she's made decisions that were progressive. In United States v. Virginia, she wrote the majority opinion that allowed women to attend the Virginia Military Institute. She also wrote opinions on cases that restricted the rights of marginalized folks. Just this June, she voted in favor of a 600-mile natural gas pipeline that would cross underneath the Appalachian Trail, a part of the national park system. Mamadov said that when people idolize an 87-year-old white woman, they aren't thinking critically about how the Supreme Court and federal judicial system was created to subjugate marginalized folks and how Ginsburg's work focused on white middle-class women. If you have heard the term white feminist, a lot of people would say this applies to RBG. Mm-hmm. In our conversation, Mamadov explained to me that though people are calling for defunding and disbanding the police and private prisons, they fail to acknowledge how judges factor into the system. These are the people that are handing out judgments to these marginalized folks, penalizing them for existing, you know, mm-hmm. in, in many cases. In our conversation, we connected on the need for mutual benefit organizations, places where the community works for the community, you know? Mamadov said, for a situation like this, it is important to know who your neighbors are and what your community needs, not just coming in and providing what you think is important. Um, you know, I volunteer. I think it's super important. Um, you know, if you're if you're sharing funds and stuff like that, that's really that's that's important and it's helpful. But there's there's nothing like being with your community, working for your community. Mamadov shared this this powerful quote with me. They said, let this moment radicalize me rather than lead me to despair. I love that. I've, you know, rhetoric such as that has been floating around a lot. And so it's kind of been uplifting to me. The one good thing that I get from social media. 
So I want to address a thought that I'm sure is on everyone's mind. What now? Will any GOP senators oppose a Trump Supreme Court nominee? Is there actually hope? Let's break it down. Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed in 2018 by a slim vote of 50 to 48, according to Senate.gov. In a September 19th article from the New York Times breaking down the potential outcomes of the nomination, the author explains that because Republicans hold such a slim majority, currently 53 to 47, Democrats will only need four Republicans to flip in order to veto Trump's nominee. Let's get into who exactly we may be counting on. Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska said that she wouldn't support a nomination before the election if there was a Supreme Court vacancy. She explained her reasoning as similar to that of Senator Mitch McConnell back in 2016. This all according to a September 18th article from Alaska Public Media and MSNBC. Murkowski isn't alone either. Senator Susan Collins of Maine has also stated that she doesn't support such a rapid vote for Supreme Court with an election right around the corner. According to the New York Times, she said, in fairness to the American people who will either be re-electing the president or selecting a new one, the decision on a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court should be made by the president who was elected on November 3rd. I think that's a powerful statement, especially uh-huh. when coming from a GOP senator. Yeah, totally. Now, lastly, I want to leave this on a slightly more uplifting note. A typical Supreme Court nomination takes about 70 days to complete, and Kavanaugh's took even longer than that, according to the Associated Press. With only 39 days until the election, the Senate would have to pull some fast shit to get this pushed through. I'm not saying that McConnell won't try his hardest, but I feel slight comfort in due process. 39 days until the election. I know. Can you believe that? That is happening so fast. I just want my mail-in ballot so that I can, like, vote and get it and like, get it make done. sure that it gets done and gets put in because like yeah i don't know it's wild um yeah uh <laughs> my goodness and and kavanaugh's kavanaugh's confirmation took forever mm-hmm. and i feel like if there's any we don't know who trump is going to tap but if it's any if it's any consolation, I don't think that he's going going to choose anybody who hasn't had a sexual assault or harassment allegation. So, I mean... Or this is Sarah Palin's <laughs> big moment. <laughs> he did say he wanted to nominate a woman. She has, like, no experience. <laughs> like... So before we get into our interview, I want to touch on some uplifting news regarding the California, Oregon, and Washington fires. Firstly, and most close to home for me, the CZU Lightning Complex fire in Santa Cruz and San Mateo counties has burned over 86,000 acres for 35 days. However, and here's the happy part, according to Cal Fire, it is 99% contained at the time of recording. Yay! Right? Little claps. I I still remember when it was 0% contained for several weeks, or at least it felt like that. And it was just really difficult to fathom. And then they slowly creeped up to 15% and now it's basically 100%. So that's really good. Lovely. And by the time this comes out, it will likely be 100%. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Second and also exciting, the California government has been partnering with native tribes to utilize traditional good fire burning to combat mega fire season. 
From an August 25th article from KQED, they note that the Karuk and Yurok tribes in Northern California are helping Forest Service to better manage the land. How long has it taken us to do this? I know. How long? Traditional good fire burning has been banned in California for a really long time. I don't have a particular number for that, but of course it has because, you know, because we're terrible. Because we're terrible, and the government, you know, white settlers wanted to stamp out any form of things that they saw as wrong. And good fire burning is literally that. It's good. It's necessary for the land to not burst into flames and also to help regenerate and grow. And it's just, it's so, it's so, pardon the pun, but it's so blazingly obvious that we should be <laughs> utilizing these traditional practices. Exactly. And I'm glad I'm glad that that's finally happening in a certain extent. And I hope they continue it. I hope that every single season we are practicing good burning, Mm -hmm. uh, that we are including native tribes and asking for for, you know, for them not to have to do this for us, but to work with them. You know, that's super important to me. That's what I'm hoping comes out of this partnership is is teaching everyone so that it's not just native tradition. It's California tradition as well and just like that Mm -hmm. partnership we can all learn how to manage that better just just add on to that so I'm in this really great um, race gender and science fiction course and we just finished up a unit on um, indigenous futurism awesome possum right isn't that great so um, one of the things that you know they were consistently saying like these indigenous um, Native American like um, first nation people they were saying that you know we are people of the past and we are people of the future. We are not leaving. We are here to stay. We will be here in the future. And this, like, utilizing their tactics and working with the tribes is going to ensure, you know, that, that they're here for the future. Um, so I think I'm just, I'm just really happy about this. <laughs> I'm, really, yeah. I'm really, really happy about this. And lastly, California recently passed the bill AB 2147, that allows incarcerated people who have fought fires to officially join as firefighters or EMTs after they complete their sentence. These are mostly black and brown folks who, after release, often have no support in finding housing, employment, or other resources. This is hopefully a good step toward creating a better system than our current one, which subjugates marginalized folks while profiting off their labor. Exactly. Exactly. This has been a long time coming, and obviously it's, you know, it's it's a step toward a better future, and obviously there's still problems to solve, but we're getting there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and, you know, it, it can be argued that, you know, legislation isn't going to really help these people. I think that there's a chance that this could make a difference, and I'm willing to to take that chance. And this is just like, as, as you and I were talking about before, before recording, like there are some people who, you know, formerly incarcerated people who were like, I would like to do that job. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm part of a team. I'm, I am doing good for the community. And it's the, the rate of re of re-entry for people like being incarcerated again is so high that if you are able to like provide employment provide you know a stable paycheck for these people and like if if you're a firefighter then you have a place to be too when you're on call for like 
a week at a time you have a roof over your head you have a bed you have food um and it's this is a great step i think i think it is Mm -hmm. i'm sure that other people can argue against it and i will listen to them um i feel like this is a good step for us i think legislation is a good step toward normalization and also creating the opportunities for communities to expand upon it and you can we may see in the future cities expanding on this bill to create better situations for people in those communities and like surrounding areas of um, prisons and incarceration facilities. Definitely. All right. And we're going to take a quick break before we bring on two special guests uh, from the Golden Gate Express newspaper to talk about some of their fire related coverage. Exactly, Malachi. We are so excited to bring uh, June Ueda and Justin Garcia here to talk to us about their work on the day the sky turned orange, where we believe it was Sozin's uh, comment on September 9th or what have you. It was a wild day that spurred a bunch of journalists into action, so we're really excited to talk to them about that. We are here with two guests of two people who are from uh, the Golden Gate Express newspaper this fall. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Yes. Hi, I'm Justin Garcia. I am a senior and this is my first semester on Express. And yeah. Uh, My name is June. I am a senior as well. First semester in Express. Uh, I'm a photojournalist. And yeah. Well, thank you so much for for coming with us to talk about your work. Uh, We invited both of you specifically because of your work on the California, Oregon, and Washington fires. I mean, you're focusing on the Bay Area since you both are located in the Bay Area. Uh, Yes. Yeah, so um, that's why we wanted to bring you on here today. So first, we want to kind of talk about you two. So Justin, can you tell us a little bit about the type of work that you do? and what inspires you? The type of work that I do, I try to report on stories that are either not being heard or listened, uh, mostly for communities that are not represented correctly or there is no representation for them. And it can be a variety of communities. There's hundreds of different types where it can be into race, people's age, their gender, um, sexuality. All about that here. We're mm-hmm. all about the positivity and trying to, to spread awareness. Yeah, um, exactly. So we appreciate that. Uh, can you tell us a little why it, uh, it's important to you specifically that there is more representation within the media? Um, it's important for me because I am um, a queer Latino man um, and I, being in both communities, um, I don't see a lot of representation like in media or for stories in that case. And I think it's important. Like, I don't really see things that relate to me or like, or I, that are, I don't really see things that are like, that my community is struggling with. Like, no one really cares about it because it's not being told or it's not being heard or there's no reporting being done or there's any of that sort so I think it's for me it's really important thank you thank you for sharing that for sure yeah June same same question um 
just want to know a little more details about what type of work that you do and what inspires you to do it. Right. Um, So I'm like pretty new to journalism. I've only been, you know, studying journalism for about two years now. But uh, the type of work that I like, I guess I tend to gravitate more towards like breaking news and like more action based stories. Um, But honestly, any opportunity that I have to go shoot, like I want to be there. So I'm like constantly driven to just capture as many images as possible and try to get that out. Cool. And did you start out that way when you just started journalism or is that something that you kind of got into wanting to shoot more breaking news? I guess the reason why like breaking news and like I guess being in places that are like a little bit more dangerous kind of like appeals to me is because not not a lot of people want to do that. And for me personally, it's like I don't really think about that. Like I would rather go and get the shot. And I, I think we all kind of became independent like throughout this pandemic, right? We're all just I mean, we might be living with family or like with housemates or whatnot, but at the same time, like you're kind of managing your own schedule at home. And it's it's a little difficult to do that just because, you know, you're just bound to one place and you can end up just being lazy or whatever. But at the same time, like school just started now, like <laughs> we kind of have to get our schedules going. But yeah, mm-hmm. like just adjusting as time goes on because it's so mm-hmm. it's so like crazy with this year yeah <laughs> honestly i saw i saw justin you you like react you like, no, like you're like literally, yes yes literally i was like you're preaching Facts. to the choir i feel like it's i feel like everyone i feel like when we just have conversations about the pandemic everyone can relate on everything and just like it just for everyone it is different but also like i think we're all like in the same mindset that we gotta do mm-hmm. day by day and just mm-hmm. we gotta keep going you know yeah totally I like to say that we're we're all on the struggle bus. You know? We are. We are exactly. Yeah, it just it's just weird because it feels like it hasn't even been that long, right? Just because we've spent so much time inside, like I don't even know what day it is sometimes, or like what <laughs> I did. Like three. If you ask me what I did three days ago, it's gonna take me like five minutes to figure. Exactly. Like, I'm gonna have to go through my phone, like <laughs> check my map. Oh, like I stayed at home. Like, gee, I wonder what I did. Like. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Justin, how has your experience changed with your reporting? Just interviewing people in person. I think that's like the biggest thing. And I feel like that's like the most, the biggest thing for a reporter is like going out and literally getting your story and like Mm -hmm. doing the work for it and like just being out there. And like, I don't know, I think like just that obviously changed and like everything now, what I do is mostly like phone calls or Zoom calls. And yes, like you can kind of get the same, but I also don't get the same like experience and I also don't get the, like the full story I can't see the person's facial expressions I can't see really like their body language if something's happening if I if I need to pick out that question a little bit more right now obviously I think for everyone is just remotely reporting and I think just interviewing people sources is always the main struggle or like the biggest thing because people don't call you back or you just like have those people that don't show up if you're not persistent they're just going to forget about it and like exactly yeah and that was a little bit true before as well like if you were going to reach out to through email or phone people you know you had to be persistent but now it's like that's your only way of communication you can't just show up at their office exactly that's the first thing yeah you, you can't done. just show up yeah yeah exactly and then like hey talk to me and that was like that was like the <laughs> like that's like the biggest most important tool in like the reporter's tool belt is being able to show up somewhere physically and you know not be rude but 
also, you know, talking to someone in person solidifies you in their brain so much better than an email. So we all feel for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. On the other hand, June, like, I mean, that that is literally like if you are not there, it's very difficult for you to get the shot. I feel like my my creative vision has shifted in a way as well, like reporting throughout this pandemic, because now I get to focus on like what are the problems now and everything like that. Um, but yeah. I guess like my reporting experience, like it's better. Like it makes personally, like I feel more driven just because there's like a motivation, right? Like I get to go out, like I get to go shoot. Like I, I'm kind of lucky that I'm able to do that. Like I feel very privileged to do so. Yeah. So I just want to know, like when you, when you woke up, what was kind of, and, and you saw the light on that, that orange day, I think it was mm, September 9th. Yeah. It was September 9th. That was a, yeah, September 9th. That was a Wednesday. Yeah. So, yeah. so what was it like waking up and, and what were kind of your first thoughts? So I woke up kind of late. I, I wake up at eight in the morning every day. Um, I woke up and then, you know, I like looked through the curtain and I was like, well, it's, it's foggy and it's always usually really foggy. I live by San Bruno, so we kind of, okay. it's always foggy in the morning and at night, but it was like orange. So I was like, oh, this is like odd. And I thought it was just the sunlight, like, you know, diffusing through the fog and it was like orange, but it was like oddly too orange i was like okay this is like weird like i just grabbed my camera and my tripod and i was like all right let's go like (laughs) just throw on some just throw on a jacket and i was like let's go get some shots but i think the first shot that i took was uh actually in my living room it was like super calm like i just wanted to get like the light leaking into the room because it's completely orange outside and it was like a little bit like all the walls were like slowly turning orange and i wanted to get that like light gradient so i captured that and then i got like my general settings down and i was like okay like let's do this just kind of went out and I was really upset I was like I should have woken up earlier for this but how would I have known right yeah Um, I think with the picture in your living room too like that really connected at least me like it connected me to because I was experiencing the same thing and you know outside it looked a little different for me here Um, and like you can see all these fantastic pictures of outside but that living room shot just like was like oh this is like exactly what my living room looks like right now too that's kind of the first thing everyone else sees when they wake up right in san francisco like like your room's like oh it's orange like the walls are orange like this is weird exactly. this is odd yeah it was a dope shot really dope yeah shot. thank you yeah so i come from shooting landscapes like i've been shooting photos for like eight years now and like most of that's all or pretty much all of it's like landscape work right that's like my favorite type of photography so um it was really dark in the morning so every time i shoot i always bring a tripod with me like that's just that's just how I roll. I, I had like a mirrorless camera with me, but because it was really dark, I had the shutter open for, I think my baseline setting was like 25 seconds or like 20 seconds. So like during 20 wow. seconds, all that light is coming through. Um, but at the same time, like I stopped down my aperture to like F11, F16, just so that everything can be sharp. And then I had my ISO, which is like, I had my ISO very low, just so that it wouldn't be grainy. Like I wanted the cleanest, sharpest image um, possible and i was like i have a tripod i can do this so you know it's it's something that i think connects with justin's story a lot like just you know you and all the photographers are like we need to go outside but also like outside was was quite dangerous i think uh so i don't know if anyone smelled it so like, i guess like for me the reason why it didn't really bother me that much was because uh so last year i had a head injury like i'm okay now but i lost my sense of smell like mostly so like 
I haven't really been smelling the smoke like recently, like these past few weeks. Like it happens, like roommate would like open the door and be like, oh wow, it sucks today. And I'd be like, oh, it smells normal. Like I don't really smell anything. But uh, maybe that might have affected like my mood on that day. Like if I woke up and went outside and the air was really, really bad, like I might have just been like, whoa, like I think I'm just going to stay inside. But that's really interesting because all of our senses yeah. play a role in like our fight or flight response and like for instance you know your first thought was to wake up and go outside and shoot pictures my first thought was oh shit I guess I won't go outside today and and I think like the moment you can smell that smoke our like our our animal instinct is to get away from it and so that's really interesting Mm -hmm. that you know you don't you that in you might not be triggered because you can't smell the smoke Um, and of course other people too like yeah I was like vibing I was literally yeah (laughs) You were literally vibing. Yeah, walking around the city, like I was like, "Yo, this is sick!" Like I think my favorite image from that day was, uh, well, I was in the car, and I was trying to drive to the Bay Bridge, um, so I can get there. But I think I was under Salesforce, and I got a shot like looking up, like from the car, from the inside of the car, like when I was waiting at a light. There's not many people. Right, right. And that's kind of like for photojournalism, they kind of consider you know that's the that's the ticket that you need to show people doing things. Yeah. yeah. And I think that for for your photos in particular, it's about how people aren't really doing things. They're in their cars. Um, you have a couple of bikers. I, I really mm-hmm. like the the motorcyclists that you yeah, have. Yeah, that's one of my favorites um, too. Oh yeah, thank you, Justin. So we want to talk a little bit about your. Um, your story that you're working on right now and the resource guide that you've been working on. Can yes. you um, just tell us a little bit about why it was important to you to to pitch and to cover this story? Okay, so since like the beginning of when the, foy- the fires were happening, um, me being located in San Francisco, like it has been pretty bad. Like the air quality just was not it. Like it just smelled really bad. I knew like if I went outside, it's going to be dangerous like if I'm out there for a while like if I'm sitting outside for a while and inhaling the smoke like I know it's gonna do some long-term damage but I just didn't know what that was or what that what the effects were of me being outside um well the air quality is bad what does it mean for me to sit out when the air quality or be out when the air quality is bad like what is like I actually had no idea like yeah I'm pretty sure it's gonna be bad obviously but how bad like you know I wanted it to be accessible to everyone and be really easy to look at it and really easy for you to read. Um, So I mostly just created like an infograph. So like the first step is to obviously check the air quality. So when you're home and it's smoky out, you kind of want to see what the air quality is like. So either you can either open your weather app and you can kind of see at the bottom, it says the air quality index. And if you don't know, it's there's a number um and that number um can range from zero to 300 and higher so so when it's fifth when it's zero through 50 that means the air quality is good um so there's no risk there's little to nothing when it's 51 to 100 that means it's moderate so it is acceptable but however that's going to be sensitive to people that have health conditions um, and then from there on, it just goes from 100 to 150, and that's just depending on how sensitive um, you are, and if you have, if you already have health conditions, obviously it's gonna affect you even more than regular people that don't have health, those health conditions. But I think just the beginning of it, I would say just checking the air quality, 
that's the biggest thing you can do. Just it's really simple. You can either check the there's a website. It's um, www.airnow.gov, and you can put your um, your address or the location that you're at, and you can check the air quality. Uh, but I think it's so much easier to just just check your phone. Like you have the weather app. Um, you could just simply just look at that, and it's just as simple as that. Um, but also, it's the other factor is staying inside. Just stay inside. Close your windows. If you have air conditioning, put the air conditioning on. If you have a um, air, an air filter, um, put that on. Uh, but I think just the biggest thing is just to stay inside when the air quality is bad. Um, and also um, wearing the correct mask. I thought if I wear my cloth mask, it's fine for me to walk out, but it's not. You have to have the specific, the N95 mask or the Pete's 100 mask. Um, those are the correct masks to wear when the air quality is bad. Um, because the cloth masks are not filtered enough and like the little particles of which is what is burning in this in the air is gonna get in your mouth or in your nose so I didn't know that until like I did my research my reporting um, so I was I was learning as I was doing it as well so I think that's really also cool to like educate myself as I'm doing it as well and I want to educate others um, and also the another biggest one is not to exercise or exert yourself. So I've seen a number of people when the air quality is bad running on the streets or just like exercising. And I think that's really, it's really bad. It can cause a lot of heart, heart um, health problems. And it just, I would say just avoid it. Don't do it or exercise at home or somewhere where you're not out. Um, and also other alternatives you can do is obviously get a portable air cleaner for your house. Um, just stay hydrated and if you're in an area where you are really close to the fires I would say evacuate if necessary or just relocate somewhere else for the weekend or for a couple days while the air quality air quality settles down um, I think people need to be kind of aware that other people have health conditions when it comes to air quality and I love I know we live in a time of COVID and whatnot so everyone is kind of scared of someone coughing or someone sneezing but it does play into a fact of that other people have other issues relating health issues. And yeah, like uh, for an example, like my boyfriend has asthma. So when he is out um, and the air quality is bad, he's gonna have a little bit of a trouble breathing and like he might have a shortness of breath or he might have like a cough, like a small cough or something. And obviously um, when you're out, people are gonna look at you weird or just like give you that look, like do you have coronavirus? and he obviously doesn't need to explain himself, but it's kind of just like a, it's just kind of like a, like a weird thing that we live in now that everyone is kind of scared of it, and obviously I know why. But um, the air quality does play a factor into people's um, lungs and just respiratory system, and I just wanted this kind of this story and this like infographics like be a guide for people. Yeah, and and even though the the um, air is much better now, thankfully there's always a possibility that, you know, as fire season continues, we'll have another orange morning mm-hmm. where the AQI will pass yeah, exactly. 100. And I remember I I was, I asked um, a few friends, like, who lived in different areas what their AQI was. And a lot of people were similar to Santa Cruz, um, which is where I live, uh, which was like 180 at the time. And then uh, one of my friends who lives in Portland said that hers was 450. And... Yeah, I just that's, can't that's even like imagine the most hazardous that. Like, one. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you literally should not leave your house. 
if it's not essential, I don't need to be out for me when the air quality is bad. Like, and for him as well, like we kind of are on the same page. There's like so much fear around everything now too. Like, I mean, it's not a bad thing to be like mm-hmm. w- wary of like your own surroundings, but at the same exactly, time, like, yeah. if you're not trying to understand, like that's also not helping either. Like you're just making assumptions at that point. I think that's, that's just something really important to keep in mind. And I'm glad that you were able to touch on that for us. Um, and June, like your story about about kind of not being aware of it because you can't really smell it, like that's that's yeah. an interesting condition. I mean, to... it's getting better. Like I did smell it. Like mm-hmm. obviously, like the bad days, like I could smell it, but I don't think it was that bad. Like I w- wouldn't know like how bad it was for other people. That's crazy how you don't smell that. Like it smells like a barbecue. Like for me, it smells <laughs> like when you go to the beach and like you bonfire and then your clothes smell the next day. I yeah. hate that smell. Oh, same. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Justin and June, thank you so much for talking with us today. Um, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Instagram at jbuphoto. Uh, JBU, yeah. And then my website is jbuphotos with an S because someone took it. Took the photo. I don't know what happened. Uh, couldn't pay enough, right? No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, um, yeah, I post most of my work on Instagram. Uh, I'm starting to use Twitter more for like breaking news stuff, but it's still in development. Um, I think my Twitter handle is also JBU Photo. Everything is like kind of the same. Um, Solid. So yeah, if you want to see my work, it's mostly landscape, but yeah. You got a brand going. I support that. <laughs> yeah, I have a little logo and, and everything. Like it's good. Oh wow! Oh, look at oh, you. We love to see it. And Justin, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Instagram. It's Justin Garcia, but two S's in Justin. Um, yeah, you can just kind of stalk my life. I post just my personal stuff mostly on my Instagram. So yeah, please go stalk. Please go stalk Justin's <laughs> life. Um, definitely. Yeah, I'm gonna do that right after this recording. <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> but yeah, so so your work is on Golden Gate Express. Your future work's gonna be there and. You know, we're so excited to have the chance to talk to you about this. Sweet. I think it's been a long while since we have, like, a man on the show. So <laughs> <laughs> you two are very welcome. And um, and we're just re- really, we're very happy that, to get this chance to talk about your work. Also, um, also June, you're the first um, photographer that we've had on the show as well. So it's, yeah, and uh, since Malachi and I both, both dabble um I, I have done photojournalism for a while as well, so it's it's kind of nice to hear about your process and, and your process too, Justin, because this is something that you know people do need to know about, but they don't want to do the research to figure it out. Yeah, this is super yeah. important what you're doing. Like, I think your story is going to come come in use for me as well. Like, I'm definitely going to be reading it. Okay, well, thank you too so much. Yeah, really thank you. You're welcome. So thank me. you for having me. Thanks so much to June and Justin for joining us on the happy hour. Uh, we really appreciate it and we hope to see more content from both of you in the future. In our Slack message, they said they'd want to work together on a story. So not trying to take too much credit, but we made that happen. Anyway, let's get back into some more happy stories. I want to take y'all back to the late 1990s. Little bitty Shaylin walks with her dad down to Lake Merritt to visit her favorite place in the world. 
She reaches the big sign and walks through an even bigger boot, grabs a plastic key on a lanyard, and enters Fairyland. For 70 years as of this month, Children's Fairyland has brought joy and creativity to the kids of the town. Opened in 1950, Oakland Park Superintendent William Penmont and Arthur Navlet, a prolific local nurseryman, envisioned a place for children to play and explore their fantasies. They recruited architect William Russell Everett to design the attractions. And this place actually um, is said to have inspired Walt Disney. Okay. Yes. And then also Frank Oz. Yo, <laughs> wild. Some of my first memories were in Fairyland. Uh, there were these huge, big storybook sets with dragons, princesses, animate kitchenware. <laughs> and you would put a key into like a call box of sorts, uh, turn it, and it would read a part of the story out loud to you. I may have this wrong because this is like when I was like five years old. So, <laughs> but this is what I remember. Fairyland likely had a big influence on me as a storyteller. But nowadays the park is in danger. They may have to close indefinitely due to multiple rounds of layoffs following the COVID-19 crisis, according to KQED. But executive director of Children's Fairyland, Kimberly Miller, secured a small business loan in March through the CARES Act, the same one that gave us our one-time stimulus check. Mm. She's working to make Fairyland more diverse as well, like including fairy tales from different cultures, because most of, well, all of them are Eurocentric. Mm-hmm. Miller and Fairyland teamed up with three other Oakland institutions, the Oakland Zoo, Cabot Space and Science Center, and the Oakland Museum, to collaborate on making these institutes of culture and science more safe during the pandemic, reported in a story for Oakland Side. Go Oakland Side. Mm-hmm. Fairyland means so much to the community, including Bay Area natives David Diggs and Raphael Casal, known for projects such as their Ode to Oakland blind spotting and Diggs' roles as Marquise de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson in the musical. Hamilton, Big which I have never watched. Have you Same. watched Hamilton? No. You, you haven't? Okay, my mom but, likes I mean, it. I've heard That's of all it, I know. So. The duo will host a celebrity storytime fundraiser tomorrow, September 26th, in honor of Fairyland's 70th anniversary. Mm-hmm. While the virtual program is free, the website offers an option to donate to Fairyland. Uh, we'll put the link to register in the show notes, and the show starts at 6.30 p.m. Come and support my favorite place. I love that. I know. Well, we'll definitely have to go. And I think having two like mid twenties women um, walking around Fairyland, you know, uh, people would just be like, "Those are some lesbians." Yeah, <laughs> we'll be definitely. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> we'll dress up in our favorite um, Charles Dickens inspired garb. Oh, totally. And it's just like it's, you know, it it may be selfish of me, but I just really want it. I really want Fairyland to still be there to take my adopted children to you know yes. i just I, I just want them to be able to have they're probably going to be like hey ma like where are the holograms me, where are the holograms ma <laughs> what do you mean i have to put a key into a box <laughs> will you please give me back my iphone 200 <laughs> and i'm and like, be no like octavia <laughs> No Octavia, no Spencer. Stop Octavia. I'm in Butler. Butler. That's what I meant. (laughs) Name your kids Octavia and Butler. I don't know where Spencer came from. Audrey Lord Martos, if you don't quiet down. (laughs) Now it's time for our last call. Last call. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. This week, we want to shout out a review from iTunes from Cards Fam. 
Thank you for reviewing the podcast. And here is your custom cocktail recipe. Hit it. Okay, I'm actually I'm actually very excited about this. So this is the pink bunny. Mm-hmm. So you start with two ounces of grapefruit juice. Optional, add an ounce or two of your favorite tequila blanco. Then pour some sparkling water on top. I prefer tonic, but La Croix works too. And if you have some rose water, throw half an ounce on there too. Nice. Then top it all off with a smattering of rose petals and ask your parents' permission to cut a piece of apple or pear into a star or crescent moon shape to place on the rim. (laughs) I still, like, when you wrote that, I was cracking up and and I still am cracking. Ask your parents' permission. Do you see my face as I was cracking up while trying to read it normally? Honestly, it's it's kind of dangerous. If you have if you have little star cutouts or moon cutouts, that's best. But yeah, if cookie you have cutters. Like dinosaur cookie cutters too, you put a dinosaur on there. Who knows? Yeah. Who cares? Do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, we hope that you like this one, especially you, Cards fam. Um, you can make it with tequila or not. This could totally be a mocktail. It's just as delicious. Mm-hmm. And if you, 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 listener, and would, you, and, you and, and, and me, no, you, would like a <laughs> shout out and a cocktail tailor-made just for you, head over to our iTunes, either in our Instagram bio, THH podcast, or just search a palate cleansing podcast, write a review, and we'll shout you out and come up with a cocktail just for you. There's like, there's <laughs> literally no downside. The pink bunny <laughs> recipe will also be available on our website, which we will link in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. And when I want to check in with you, Malachi, what is your happy hour? What's making you happy this week? What's making me happy is finishing issue one of Express Magazine. I am very excited. It will have already been released at the time of us dropping this episode, but me and my team of editors and writers worked super hard on it. It is an entirely virtually produced magazine in a pandemic with art and stories abound. So we'll also put in the show notes where you can find that. Um, And if you're listening to this at the moment it drops because you're a diehard fan, in an hour, we're having an issue launch party, which if you head over to Express Magazine on Instagram, you can find us, DM us for the Zoom link and show up just in time to party. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you show up just in time. You make your pink bunny. And yes. You're there. You're and you with are us. There. Shaylin, what is making you happy this week? Um, actually, and this is such a Capricorn thing for the both of us, but my happy, uh, my my last call happy thing for this week is that I got to publish um, something that I've been working on for a very long time. So um, Media Literacy for Revolution is this video that I've been working on for like months, like over the summer. Um, and it's a it's a how-to on how to, you know, better understand what you see online in five steps. And um, media literacy is a topic that means so much to me. I mean, we, we try to cover it here in, in the happy hour um, without being like media literacy, but it's just so important for you to be able to like research the stuff that you see. And, and um, especially since we have so much access to information now, it's just even more important than ever to be able to differentiate, okay, what can I trust and what can I trust? Mm-hmm. And, um, and at the time of recording, I've just dropped it. And I'm going to get a little emotional about it. No. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but it's uh, gotten great feedback for, so far, and I'm just really, I'm really happy about that. And I'm trying to think, what's another, what's another thing that doesn't have to do with work, Shaylin, that you're happy about? Ooh, the both of for, us. <laughs> for dinner tonight, I made um, a very traditional Chamorro dish, um, mm. which Malachi has tried too. It's called Tanak Tak. And it has ground beef, green beans, coconut milk, ginger, garlic, and it's a stew. You serve it over fresh steamed white rice, and it's it's fucking bomb. My it's mouth bomb. is watering because <laughs> you've had it before, and I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Malachi, and really, 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 really quick, I want to hear something that's not work that you're happy about. Um, does submitting my graduation application count? Yes, it does look at that bitch yeah graduating college it's just it's really you know it's making me look back on the last four year four and a half years of my life and realizing that they simultaneously took forever and also went by like that like in an instant and suddenly it's all over so anyone who's listening to this if you like the work that i do if you like the work that shaylin does please hire us um (laughs) We are good podcast hosts. We write scripts. We write other things. We edit things. We edit audio. We're both workaholics. I bake really good chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) She does make very good chocolate chip cookies. And I make good drinks. So, you know. What more do you need from a dynamic duo? Yeah. (laughs) Please please give us money. Anyway, follow us at THH Podcast on Instagram or at Happy Hour News on Twitter. One day we'll sync those up, but for now, it is what it is. You can it find me at Malachi Wade on all socials. And me at Shaylin Martos on all socials, which is a very a very good thing that both of us have very odd names. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> that's on having odd names so that we can have our full name as a handle. I feel very fancy about that. Anyway, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Happy Hour, a palate cleansing podcast. We will speak to you soon. Speak at you soon. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Your <laughs> Have a really great weekend. And yeah, we'll stay positive with, with more with more happy stories. Stay positive. Stay positive. Have some hope in the world because there's there's people doing really good work. Mm-hmm. Sick. I don't. <laughs> I almost pressed the end button on the on the on the Zoom call. That would have been so funny. <laughs> and then we would have put in the edit in the audio where I just go, oh and she left the Zoom call. Alright. Anyway. <laughs>Thank you to Armand Billamoria for composing and performing our theme music. Additional audio editing for this episode was done by Joelle Umanzor Jr. The Happy Hour podcast is produced in collaboration with the Golden Gate Express newspaper and Express magazine out of San Francisco State University.